Climb aboard the struggle bus. You got problems just like us. Climb aboard the struggle bus. Let Kate and Sally help you. Welcome to the struggle bus. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. And we're here to fix your lives. That said, we're two people whose only qualifications to give you advice are that we have lots of feelings and lots of opinions. Neither of which are a substitute for professional guidance. Hey, Sally. Hey, Catherine. It has been a couple weeks. It's been a while. A while. Here we are. We're so glad to be back. Uh, For this recording, we do have a bonus episode up too, but I'll tell you more about how you can get your hands on that. You can tweet at us at strugglebuspod, email us at strugglebuspodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question, make sure you put that in the subject line. If you want to join our secret Facebook group, you can also email us at the same address, but put in the subject line, I'd like to join the group. Make sure that's separate so we know. Instagram.com slash the strugglebuspod. Use the hashtag strugglepodbuds420 to find a struggle Buddy, and go on to strugglebuspodcast.com to find out how you can be a VIP member for as little as $5 a month, monthly bonus episodes, a new one is just fresh up, and a cool gift in the mail. Tweet at Sally T. Tweet at me at SPK Heller. Uh, yeah, Sally. Heck yeah. Shall we, shall we do a little opening jibber-jabber? Let's do it. Let's All jibber-jabber right. away. Opening jibber-jabber, jabber-jabber-jabber. We don't have, we don't have echo on that. Yeah. Sally, would you want to go first or do you want to hear about mine? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I started watching a new TV show that I'm pretty excited about. What is it? Would it's, I like it? It's, co- it's called The Expanse mm. and it's on the sci-fi network that I've been watching it on Amazon Prime. And it's kind of like if you took Game of Thrones <clears throat> and Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. and you mushed them up. And you made a TV show. Um, it's has like a lot of cool political intrigue in space. Wow. Some of it's on Earth, but a lot of it's in space. That's cool. And Is it like in the future? Or? Yes, I think it's I can't remember. There's that thing at the beginning of the show where they tell you exactly when it's happening. And it is supposed to be in the future. But I can't remember if it's like near future or far future. Mm-hmm. But it's really fun. And my friend Jaime recommended it. And when we lived together, we used to watch a lot of Battlestar Galactica. He got <laughs> me into it. And um, this is, it's like that, but it's a little bit, I, I feel like it's like a little grittier, maybe. Anyway, mm. it's cool. A lot of political intrigue, a lot of stuff about uh, about colonization and um, people who are indigenous to an area. Ooh. Um like taking power back from colonizers, that kind of thing. So it's really cool. And um, I think everyone should watch it. It's it's pretty genre-y. Like, I don't know if people would like it if they're not into, like, space stuff or sci-fi stuff. It's pretty nerdy. Um, but it's pretty fun. There's a lot of classic classic tropes. There's a, a guy, a really <laughs> hunky dude in it who's a hero who... <laughs> Jaime calls space Jon Snow, Stop which it. is exactly <laughs> who he is. Um, so I just wanted to jibber-jabber about it for a second. That's it's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'll check it out. Yeah, check it out. Give it a look. The first, at least the first couple episodes, I think, are free if you have Amazon Prime. I, I have people's passwords to things. Oh, done and done. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, hey, uh, I think my jibber-jabber is very similar about TV watching. 
Yeah. Uh, I was a little sick this week, so I went on a Netflix binge. And I love documentaries, so I, I just went for it. I started to watch Dirty Money. I had to stop. I'm going to finish it later because you really have to think while watching. It's about mm-hmm. uh, corporations who do very corrupt things. It's going to make you mad. But it's so well done and so uh, it kind of puts it simply for laymen to understand business terms and like what happened or mm-hmm. starts off with the Volkswagen um, car, the one that had the pollution, and then they were lying about it. So, oh, yeah, I watched that. Yeah. That like, it, yeah, it's like episodic. Every episode is another company. I believe so, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, you have to really be watching it. You can't like sort of be in bed, you know, half watching it. Not that I yeah. would, but, you know, you got to really focus on it. So there's that. I did watch the um, documentary about Newtown. It's called Newtown. It's on Netflix. Um, oh, man. They did a really, really good job. It was very sad. You will cry, um, yeah, or at least I did. Out. But I have to say, I thought they were going to, because they're following the families and their recovery, not recovery, but to their journey as they the years go by and how they're you know dealing with the pain. And I thought they were going to touch on the Alex Jones thing and the crisis actors and all the horrible things and the shooter, but they didn't talk about the shooter. They never said his name. Huh. They didn't talk about anything like with Alex Jones. They just followed the families. That's cool. It's beautiful. It's really well done. So then I watched, um, oh, I watched the W. Kamau Bell stand-up special. Mm-hmm. It's How was that? Amazing. I know you saw him live, Sally. I don't know if that was part of the stuff that he was working on for the special, but if you haven't seen it, it's really good. Oh, cool. It's Check it out. so good. I was just laughing out loud by myself. And finally, <clears throat> seeing All Red. Did you see this, Sally? I did, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. I love this. Gloria Allred is a fascinating human being. Fucking fascinating. Absolutely. And you see, I grew up in New York City and everyone's making fun of her and like she's the one on the TV and the ambulance chaser. Not at all. Now, listen, documentaries can bend, you know, uh, a view of somebody, but there's no bending of what she's done in her life. Like, my goodness, she's fascinating. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, she's fascinating. She's a fierce, fierce woman. Oh, since day one, she just, she changes laws. Like basically she did the Bill Cosby stuff pro bono because she knows that the women had the statute of limitations. She just wanted to get the word out. But then she went to the next step and started dismantling statute of limitations in many states. And it's really, really interesting. Like she doesn't just take on the problem. She fucking solves it. And it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. She's like, like my takeaway was like, do not fuck with Gloria Allred because she's did not come to play. No. And if you ever need someone, she's got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, that was. So you got a lot of Netflix watching done sure while did. you were sick. I'm really impressed. Thanks. I mean, some of this stuff is short. Like the W. Kamau Bell special is like an hour, under an hour. Yeah. You know, I didn't finish Dirty Money. I'm just partially through it. So. Yeah. 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 Dirty Money, I liked. Um, I saw that first episode about Volkswagen, which was appalling. And but you're right, it got really complicated. And I was like, okay, I don't have the brain power to cope with this right now. Mm -hmm. But I'll get back to it. It's definitely worth getting back to. Yeah. And also, if you're interested in a film about the financial crisis that you understand, Margin Call is a brilliant, brilliant movie to explain the financial crisis of 2007. Yes. Kevin Spacey's in it, though. So, yeah. I movie. saw that, I think. That's different than the other one, yeah. the big short. Yes, but I am it, pretty sure I saw Margin Call. It's easier to understand than the big short. <laughs> okay. The big short was like flashy scenes, trying to describe things. And it's like, what is going on? Yeah. It's like the financial crisis, someone explaining it to you on mushrooms and acid. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I Every time I learn about the financial crisis, 
I understand at like at, when I like make the effort to understand what happened, I understand it. But then like 15 minutes later, I forget everything and I don't understand it anymore. And I've watched the big short twice and both times I've been like, oh, I get it. And then once it's over, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was working at a hedge fund during the financial crisis. And so even then I barely understood people were trying to explain it to me day after day. And they were showing me the stock market and they were showing me how the U.S. government owned all the stocks temporarily on the Bloomberg because everyone went de defaulting. It was fascinating. I still don't fully understand it. Yeah, but I like secretly, I feel like no one understands. I, I was at a party recently. <laughs> Actually, this was like several months ago. And uh, I was, Andrea and I were talking to this guy who I think works at like the Fed. Mm -hmm. And we got into this really deep conversation about all this stuff, like the financial crisis and all this related stuff. And I had had like just enough to drink that I felt incredibly confident and <laughs> also just really lucid. And I engaged in a conversation about it. And I, I think I sounded like I was really engaged with current events and the news and the markets. And I felt great about it. And then after I was like, I might've been talking nonsense that entire time, but I felt really confident about I'll it. I'll bet you they understood it. And then went home and went, I don't get it. She's so smart. Yeah. They were like, I thought I understood the financial crisis, but then I heard this new person talking about it. She seemed kind of drunk, but wow, <laughs> ever pick it apart. Yeah. That, I, I do have a way of explaining it to people, but we don't have time here, but I do kind of understand. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of things anyway. It's a lot of things. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about a thing we did for self-care. Yeah. Also, I should mention we're recording remotely because oh, yeah. I'm still a little bit sick. So um, yeah, that's why I miss you face to face, Sally. I enjoy looking at you at the screen, but it's not the same. I miss you too. And I just realized that unless I go to your apartment and you give me a glass of water, I forget that water is a thing I should have. Cause I just noticed you took a sip and I was like, oh man, I'm going to be parched. I have water and coffee. Um, oh, if you want, before we do a thing we did for self-care, I can pause and get, get yourself a glass of water. I thought you were going to say you could get me a glass of water. I will I get you a glass like, of water. Hold on. Let me get on the train. <laughs> Bye. You guys, we're card? just going to keep this paused for 35 minutes while Catherine comes over to get me water. Um, no, that's okay. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to risk it. I, I was, I'm super hydrated. I think you are just a, yeah, you're a force like Gloria Allred. Yeah. That's I'm the Gloria Allred of drinking water. Yeah. All right. Let's get to a thing we did for self-care. All right. What about you, Sally? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Catherine, my self-care is what my self-care is every like other time we talk about this, which is that I binged watched and I read a lot. Um, I even more so than usual because Andrea was out of town. Mm. So instead of having someone to hang out with and do activities with, I was like flying solo. And when I fly solo, I don't do activities so much as I sit in my apartment and uh, pick up the old remote. So I watched The Expanse. I started it like two days ago and I've watched nine episodes. It's fine. And I'm reading this book called The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. I've heard of that, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, people are really, really into. And I feel like it's, like, really basic to say you think it's a really good book. But, wow, it is really fucking good. Mm -hmm. um, it's a billion pages long. And I've only read 300 of them. It's really heavy. And it's really emotionally intense. But it's so super good. So I've been alternating that with The Expanse, and it's been working out really well for me. Great. Um, and yeah, it's it, work has been really busy um, until last week when we 
released this special package about weight. You have a really, and, that's a big deal. Can you talk about that for a second? That was amazing. Yeah, it was such a big deal. Yeah, we, basically, I work at Self Magazine, which used to be a print magazine, but is now only online. And, you know, for a long time, you know, basically since its inception in 1979, it was a mainstream women's health magazine with all of the sketchy things that that comes with. And a couple of years ago, when my editor-in-chief took over, she really put the brand on a different course, which is to be more inclusive and get rid of shamey content and 10 ways to please him. Yeah. yeah, And like, um, get a bikini body in 10 days, stuff that's both like scientifically really unfounded and also just like a, just a terrible standard to set for humanity. Um, and we've been doing that for a couple of years, but we had like an official like coming out party basically by doing this big package about weight. And a lot of the package is about how a health brand like self is going to deal with adding to the conversation, the cultural conversation about weight and bodies. And then a lot of it is like explainers about weight and health and personal essays. And there's a beautiful photo essay and there's an interview with Tess Holiday, who's a plus size model. So it's a bunch of different content. It's really good. We've been working on it for months. And so when we finally released it, I felt a little bit brain dead. And so that all ties back to self-care because basically all I've been doing is stuff that requires like a very low amount of, um, like cognitive, uh, engagement. So, um, that's what I did, Catherine. That Tell was about- great. I read some did. of it. It was really great. I just want you to know that Sally is now stretched out with her knee up. Uh, you had your arm out for a second and I took several screenshots. I'll oh, send to you. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe you can check it out on Instagram.com slash struggle bus pod. Let me look at myself and see what I'm doing. I, I yeah, will, I I totally will send these like, to you. I'm like having like a, a beach day in my bedroom. I'm just like relaxing. I just realized that my shirt is fully half off 80 style and my bra showing. I look it's like it's off the shoulder. It's a look. Dance. Thank you. The 80s are back, you guys. Yeah, they are. They green, never went away. Green. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, what I did, so every day when I'm working, I do a to-do list, like which client I need to upload or phone call or whatever. And I actually write it out. My handwriting is terrible. This is the only thing I ever write besides checks. And like I'll make a box and then say what I need to do every single day. That really, really helps me because if I feel overwhelmed, I just look at the list and I'm like, okay. And then when I check things off, it feels really good. And it's just, you know, something I've been doing. So this week I was pretty sick, but I'm feeling better now. But earlier in the week, I had to do a little bit of work. And so I put, you know, it was light work. I was being easy on myself. But one of the things is my fever kept going up and down. And um, I just went ahead and like made a checkbox for fever and then made a checkbox for eating food because <laughs> I was like, you know what? I need to take care of myself today. And that's the first fucking time I put my self-care shit on the to-do list. That's amazing. So now I will do, you know, clients and all that shit, but like also eat food, you know, like go for a walk. And so that's changed my life dramatically. I'm so proud of myself. It makes me like so happy. Here's Sally. That's sh- so huge. I'm going to show you the list. Look at that. Yeah, can you see? Nice. Fever and food. Fever and food. I love it. That is a really, really good idea. It's fun and I did all the things, see? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So you don't have to do the to-do list, but for me it helps. But in general, just remembering, hey, on my things to do with clients and work and stressful stuff, also good things. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the you things. Exactly. Nice. So um, let's get to emails yeah. We ha- and we have one update first. Yes, we do. Sally, do we- tell. Okay. So we have an update from someone who wrote in um, 
I don't remember the name we gave them, and I don't remember what episode it was, <laughs> but it was probably within the last like five episodes. I think so episodes. too. Yeah. Um, they, they wrote in because they were about to become a manager at work and they felt like they were incredibly chaotic, um, and couldn't like keep their work life together. And they were worried that that was going to make their assistance life hell. Um, and I think they also said something about thinking they maybe had undiagnosed ADHD. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't remember exactly. Anyway, we gave some advice and this is what they wrote in. Hi, Kate and Sally. Thank you so much for the excellent advice. I just wanted to give you a quick update. You motivated me to finally actually go and talk to my doctor, and now I have a referral to a specialized ADHD center for a possible diagnosis in early July. So far, I don't think I've ruined our assistant's <laughs> life. I'm more focused under stress, and she happens to have started in a very busy period, and we have been working together really well in organizing several major conferences. I'm a little nervous about how it will be when things calm down, but by then, I'll be close to my diagnosis appointment. Thank you so much again. You're the best. Mm, I love that. Yay. So, um, yay. Yeah, that's a, a really great update, and I'm glad we could be helpful. And I'm also glad that like things have started for this person um, with the new person coming on and it's going, it's going well. Great. Um, oh, that's really good to hear. So yeah, thanks for the update. We, sorry, we forget your name. I remember where I was sitting and it was at your home that we read that episode. Yeah. I remember too. Yeah. I remember having like a really good conversation about that. Yeah. But I don't know. Think, yeah. It's more it like I can see think a lot about, oh, sorry. Oh no, go on. I was going to say, I remember it making me think a lot about my own, um, like habits as a manager and like the extent to which I want to protect people who report for me from my chaos and the extent to which I can't. <laughs> well, I have an intern slash assistant this summer and it's the same thing every time I'm dealing with her and she's amazing. I, I'm like thinking of that letter too. And I'm also thinking about just, am I a good manager? Do I need to learn better? You know, so yeah, totally. I've actually been asking advice from my former boss about stuff like that. We had lunch together. And uh, yeah, so that was a really good letter. Um, definitely check it out. An episode, we don't know. <laughs> an episode who can say <laughs> listen to all of the episodes and uh you'll get to it yes yes all right do you want to get to email number one i do all right so email number one they would like a fake name they are obsessed with jessica jones <laughs> so a character from that would be great do you have what you watch jessica jones i right? do i just i need to think of some names because i mean it's just uh gosh it's such a great show vamp for a second i'm gonna look okay it up. uh i one day, I'm sure we'll watch Jessica Jones. Um, I couldn't get into it the first time. I think I w was like freaked out by the violence. But now mm. that I watch Game of Thrones, I probably am immune to violence. So yeah. maybe I'll get back into it. And there's different kinds of uh, violence. You know, there's like. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like I like zombie stuff, but I can't watch Game of Thrones. You know, mm -hmm. I'm looking up characters. Sorry. All right. Here we go. Oh, okay. Um, I think. Uh, here we go. I'll keep vamping. Yeah. Um, how Jessica about Jones is super okay Campbell Campbell yeah that's okay. like yeah there's some origin story of Jessica Campbell who goes to school with Peter Parker it's it's a long story how she got there uh okay. let's just say Campbell okay cool this email is from Campbell did you want to read it or so should I I'm happy to read it if you want. Okay. Cool. There's a content note, childhood sexual abuse, family with chronic illness, depression, and binge eating. Dear Catherine and Sally, I'm a 25-year-old cis female currently working on finishing, though slowly, a master's program that I consider myself passionate about. However, I'm finding it difficult to get motivated to do my work lately, both academically and emotionally. There are a lot of things going on in my life. 
My parents, who I live an hour away from, are not doing very well. My mom has mul- my mom has multiple sclerosis, which is progressively worsening both physically and cognitively. My dad is her sole caregiver when I am not there, and he has his own health issues, mainly pertaining to his heart and lungs due to smoking. While working almost full-time and doing schoolwork, I try to go home as much as possible to help with renovations to the house that I grew up in to make it more accessible for my mom since we cannot afford to pay someone to do it. They are struggling so much, but so am I. There was a lot of trauma from my childhood and early college life, both emotional and sexual, that I won't get into, but I struggle with dealing with my emotions. I have always thrown myself into survival mode by doing my best at school and working hard to get a good-paying career so that we wouldn't have to struggle financially anymore and I could make my family proud. However, lately, I have lost motivation even for this, although I'm so close to graduating. I have a great friends, I have great friends that I care a lot about and that I lean on for support, but only so much. I keep a lot of it to myself out of fear of scaring people with the suffering in my head. This is a big reason that at 25 years old, I have never been in a serious relationship or had sex. I feel emotionally stunted, and at 25, it feels that I can no longer hide behind quote-unquote success at school, and people must know there's something different about me. I feel embarrassed and vulnerable, and I hate it. I just want to be able to have relationships like everyone else. I have seen therapists through school, but I have trouble really opening up to them as well as I, and I feel like no one has really ever tried to pry it out of me, which is probably good, but sometimes I feel like I just want someone to care enough to actually see through my facade and see my suffering. I think the only way to get myself out of this depression and feeling healthier and more like myself is to address my emotional issues and stop isolating myself from others. The problem is that I have repressed memories and feelings so much that I have a hard time believing them myself, and it is so much easier to live in a world where bad things are not talked about. I am worried that opening this can of worms is going to destroy my parents if they found out and also prevent me from graduating as I tend to cope by smoking weed and binge eating rather than writing a thesis. My current therapist is leaving and has referred me to a free trauma-centered program. I've done a lot of research, and I know this is the right thing to do, but it's so hard to leave this state of getting by to enter into an unknown. I guess, my sh- in, I guess in short, my question is, how do I open up to someone, anyone, when every bit of me screams no? How do I break the cycle of living in authentically, inauthentically? Of living inauthentically, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, sorry. When I have become a master at hiding my inner struggles. Also, is it appropriate to mention these struggles to my academic advisor or boss since my performance has obviously been less than satisfactory? Really, any thoughts and feelings you have will be helpful and I'll be okay. I don't want to worry anyone too much. Also, here's a picture of my dog to lighten the mood. And honestly, I'll take any opportunity to show off my baby girl. Thanks. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you both so much for all that you do. Campbell. Thank you, Campbell. I forgot to put Campbell's. I'm a dog little in here. sad right now. I was scrolling Sorry. down. <laughs> I really blew it, but That's okay. uh, I'm sure I it's amazing. I'll take it out. Look, when I read the email, and Campbell's dog is very cute. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Campbell, I think that, you know, I don't think you're living inauthentically. I hear what you're saying, like, you know, that there's. You're, you're like noting the fact that you've been keeping a lot of this to yourself, but I don't think that's inauthentic. I think that, you know, the way that we deal with our problems is something that I think for most people, they learn that they need to do in childhood. And when we're kids, we 
don't always make the most amazing decisions for how to take care of ourselves, but we do figure out how to protect ourselves. And it just, it, they're usually the kinds of things because we hatched the plan when we were like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> they're the kind of things that aren't that amazing when we're adults. And we get to a point where we're like, well, this isn't working anymore, which it sounds like is the point you're at. I don't think that's inauthentic. Um, and, you know, I think that you're, you've, you've, analyzed your situation really well. Like you're at the point where you know that you need to kind of open up and put this stuff on the table. And I think the way you do it, how do you open up when every bit of you screams no? I think that you, once you find the therapist that you connect with, maybe it's in this trauma-centered program, you say, my biggest fear is opening up. I've never been able to do it. On the one hand, I want someone to pry it out of me. On the other hand, I'm relieved that no one ever has mm. and just let them take it from there because mm. um, the whole point of seeing a therapist is for them to help you with the stuff that you find hardest, with the stuff that you feel like is blocking you in life. And often the stuff that blocks you in life is the stuff that's going to block you in the therapist's office, but they're there to help you get through that block. Um so I think you can just be really honest um, and have and that that can be your first step. And I, I would encourage you also to, like, not worry about, you know, if this is going to upset your parents, if this is going to mean that you're going to not be able to do your thesis or start binge eating and smoking weed, because I, I think I understand that you're concerned about those things. And it's good to have them on your radar because it's always good to sort of have a sense of what might happen. But I think that if you focus too much on all of the worst case scenarios that could happen, it can be kind of paralyzing and you mm. could sort of not want to make a move at all. I think really the only thing that you have to worry about is like the moment that you're in and like the next moment and everything else will sort of come together. Um, cause you, you have no way of knowing how all of this is going to unfold. I understand that you are scared of all the ways it could go wrong or could turn out badly, but you don't actually know that it will. And you also sound, I think like when you're, at least for me, when I'm really wrapped up in like how bad I feel, the only things I can really imagine happening in a real way are all like the bad things. Um, and then like once I start kind of figuring it out, whether it's like in therapy or otherwise, I'm not as focused on the worst case scenarios. And so I, I think that once you start kind of addressing this and getting some help, um, it will all feel less overwhelming. Catherine, what do you think? Mm, yeah, everything you said. I'm just thinking about um, I'm going to use me as an example, just my own feelings about this and also things I've just learned. Um, for me, I didn't realize how many um, – protective safety measure, measures I made up in my childhood to protect me from whatever was happening. I came up with a lot of things that at the time protected me from, you know, my own traumas, my OCD, the, uh, you know, sexual stuff, um, molestation, things that had happened to me. And my entire life has been dismantling those because they work when you're a kid, but when you get older, it's, it's scary and you don't want to tell anyone and it's embarrassing. I have to say, when I was your age, I didn't tell anyone about my mental stuff. I was terrified to even talk about it. And now I talk about it to like thousands of people I don't know because I've learned through therapy, a lot of therapy, um, different tools to use as an adult because you do need mm -hmm. some tools to survive. But the ones yeah. that you learned as a kid maybe aren't working out so well or the fact that you're holding so much in must be exhausting, Campbell. I mean... 
it's a lot to hold on to all of that and be fresh faced for your professors and your boss and your family. And it's probably going to take a toll. So it's better to nip it in the bud or start knowing that it's not going to change overnight. But in my own experience, I've seen amazing change in the things I can talk about. Somebody recently said to me, oh, you're so together. And I'm like, no, I just years of therapy and sort of figuring out I want things in this life. I want to be in a relationship. I want this. I want that. When I was 20 and had my first breakup, all I went to therapy for was to figure out my dad's stuff so I could meet a guy and not be scared. You know what I mean? But then mm -hmm. from that, it did work. Like I ended up starting to date again. But through that, I've then learned of other traumas and dealing with other things. And it does open up a Pandora's box. But you're opening up the box with a safe person. You're doing piece by piece. You can't do it all at once. That's a lot. But think about like just starting small. Think about a little little jewel box and you're taking out some tools and kind of shining them up and figuring out what it is that you need because you're holding in a lot of stuff. Now, I have another thing to say about the telling the boss and stuff. Do you want to go first, Sally? Or Yeah, yeah. No, no. You can go. Okay. Um, I don't think you need to tell your boss or your professors or anyone this. This is something that you're dealing with. And if you have performance problems and if they take you aside and start talking about it that's up to you but it sounds like you know you're having performance problems you know that happens and just be aware of it but I don't think they need to know that because um, there still is a stigma about mental health in this country in this world and you just never know and it's better to just they don't need to know that much this is your thing and you need to start working on it with a safe person, with a therapist, with a group counseling. But I highly recommend a therapist that you can open up to. But it may take a while. But you don't have to tell them all, everything at once. Maybe start off with mm -hmm. a tiny little piece. Yeah. 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 I think, like, you know, there have been times that I've mentioned to a boss or a professor um, that, that I have a lot going on. I, I, I don't think I would ever – uh, reveal any like details to someone I had a professional relationship with of, of like my life, but I've definitely been like, Hey, you know, I know I've been late a couple times. Um, or I know my work has suffered or I know that I'm not at tip top. I have a lot going on. And I, I think that that's usually enough. Um, I think that like, it all really depends on like what your relationships are like with these various people. I think that in most work situations or school situations that I've been in, I would feel like it was a, a little bit boundary crossing to bring someone into the very detailed specifics of what I'm going through. Um, but I don't think it's boundary crossing to say, you know, I have a lot going on mm -hmm. right now, or I have some family stuff or whatever, whatever it is. I think that that's like, you know, and you, I think you have to judge for yourself. I think you have to sort of, I think it depends on like the culture of your program or the culture of your workplace. And like, do people talk about this stuff? Is this, is your boss someone who like understands these things? Um, and then kind of tailor what you do to them or to, to the culture of the place, which I, you know, I think I, I have mixed feelings about. I, I wish that like, mm -hmm we were a culture where it was like, okay, to talk about mental health more openly. Um, and on the other hand, I've been in places where it, it is acceptable to talk about mental health. Um, but it's also important to like sort of behave in a, a way that feels appropriate to the boundaries that are established with like someone you work with or someone you work for. Um, and so I think it, it is kind of a matter of, um, what feels right for you, but I certainly don't think that you're obligated to say, 
anything. In fact, like, you know, I think that if I worked with someone who was really high performing and all of a sudden they seemed like distracted or their work was getting in late or their work wasn't like tip top, I would probably assume that they had something going on. Um, because it sounds like uh, it would be kind of a sudden shift. So perhaps it's something that they maybe are thinking, oh yeah, like Campbell might have a lot going on right now. Um, and I'll check in with them if their work doesn't improve, but my guess is that they're going through a thing. I don't know. I think that's like a reasonable thing to assume is happening as well. Yeah. And I saw an address in the letter that you said, I'm worried that opening this can of worms is going to destroy my parents if they found out. They don't have to know. What you talk about with your therapist is private and you don't have to tell your parents just yet or ever. You know what I mean? Like this is very personal and just think about working on you. You don't need to reveal what you talk about in therapy. Think mm -hmm. about it that way. So don't worry about that too much. And also you said the problem is that I have repressed memories and feelings so much that I have a hard time believing them myself. Um, I just want you to know that you should believe yourself. Um, I actually still do fact check things that happened in my childhood that were traumatic that I just remembered. And I'll call my sister and be like, did this happen? And she's like, yeah. So a lot of times it feels like you're making it up or it can't be real. I found that, you know, it's valid, though. It's probably real. But you don't have to address it immediately if it's too much. Mm -hmm. So just know that it might. It's probably real. But if you don't want to think about it, that's okay. You know, just step by step, baby steps. Yeah, that's a really good thing about therapy, particularly trauma informed therapy or, you know, trauma centered therapy is that I think you kind of collect more and more tools and resources that help you deal with things that are very, very typical of having experienced trauma, which is like questioning that they happened yeah. um, and stuff like that. So I think that that in addition to having the, that fact checking in place, which I think is like an awesome strategy, I think that, you know, getting treatment will also help you, um, like, I don't know if like relieve the need for fact checking is exactly right, but sort of make it, make it feel that like there's less pressure to fact check yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh man, Campbell. Um, oh. Anything? Wait, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say anything else for Campbell. I was about to too. Um, Campbell, listen, just let us know. Definitely try to get a therapist. And um, oh, I was going to say one more thing. Therapist jobs aren't to drag things out of you. They don't aggressively pull it out because they know that's not the way to do it because it's not the healthiest thing. So your shrink may not pull things out, but that's, that's their way of being gentle with you and letting you do the work yourself. They don't do the work for you. And it's a really empowering thing when you do the work and you notice change. That's like the best thing. You know, when you leave a therapy session, you're like, oh, and then you've sort of overcome a tiny thing. It's huge. Like, you know, mm -hmm. but it's you have to do the work. They're not going to pull it out, you know, fix it like a Rubik's Cube and stuff it back in. They don't do that. They, that would be amazing. That would be did, amazing. But that's not a thing. So just know that your therapist will not be like, tell me more. You know, that's not mm -hmm. that's not what they do because they know it has to come from you. I, I think that that's true. I think, you know, you can say, like I suggested in the beginning, um, I have both like the desire to have things pried out of me and also a fear that like someone will try to pry something out of me. And I would like it if you would like on a scale of one to 10 pry stuff out of me at a level of like six or eight or nine mm -hmm. or five, like whatever it is. Um, cause I do think that like it can become a thing where if you're not going to be able to open up unless they pry things out of you, 
you might not get very far because as Catherine said, it's not really like a best practice for a therapist to try to like wrench things like a therapist, like whole thing, at least in my experience is to try to gently steer you in the direction, not of saying a particular thing, but of, um, a certain amount of like self-reflection and openness and they don't, I mean, I guess some do more than steer or maybe they steer not gently, but I think like most really good therapists in my opinion are going to like, maybe if you don't open up and don't open up, don't open up, maybe the most they would do is like call your attention to the fact that you're not really like Mm. opening up. (laughs) But beyond that, they're not going to, like Catherine said, they're not, it's, you know, it's not like going to a surgeon where they like lie you down, give you anesthesia and like pull something out of you. I wish. Um, Which would be amazing. Mm. Um, (laughs) Maybe sometime in the future. Yeah. So um, (sighs) anyway, Campbell. Pardon me. Good luck with everything. It sounds like you're, you have a really like nuanced and strong grasp on what is going on with you. And it just is a matter of taking those couple next steps. So good luck. And we'll be thinking of you. Yes. Yes. Campbell. Thank you. All right. Shall we get to number two then? Yes. Email number two. <laughs> I love their name. They okay, came up yeah, with this. This is from Lil Sebastian. Yes. I always love having a Parks and Rec fan writing in. Uh, content warnings for this one. Suicide, childhood sexual abuse, coming out, alcoholic parents. Kate and Sally, hello. Just for some background, I'm a 20-year-old cis male. I live in a fairly conservative state in the Pacific Northwest and recently just moved back to my extremely small conservative hometown from a more progressive city. I work for an engineering company that is very diverse, progressive, and accepting of all people. As you may have guessed, this request for advice has to deal with my sexuality. I'm riding the struggle bus and and it has been a very bumpy ride. I do not identify as straight or gay or even bisexual. I really believe that I just love everyone regardless of their gender identity. This is very confusing to me. I consider myself to be very progressive, but also know that I have a lot of things to improve on, but I don't know how to identify or if it's even worth trying to label. Another problem I'm being faced with is feeling the need to come out to my family. I want to do this for several reasons, but mostly because I have recently started seeing someone and while things are not super serious, it's not fair to him to keep us a secret. I don't want to feel shame about keeping our relationship a secret, but also don't want to be shamed by my family. My family is fairly conservative. Mom and dad divorced are both alcoholics. I have been able to have conversations with them about politics and have made some progress with them. Yay me. (laughs) Um, I still am not sure how they would react to me coming out as well. I don't even know. I don't want to ruin the relationship between myself and my parents as the relationship is already pretty rocky from me having to set boundaries with them both, especially from my mom who is codependent and used to rely heavily on me for emotional and financial support. I'm worried that if I come out to my family, they will try to blame themselves or past events, even though I know there isn't anyone to blame because I know in my heart that it's not a bad thing. Some of the scenarios that have gone through my head are that my dad will blame himself for not being around much and my mom will blame her father who sexually abused me as a child. Long story short, I reported it and nothing happened. Last year, my sister and cousin reported their similar experiences. Grandpa went on the run. Manhunt sweeps the state. He's found in his vehicle dead by suicide. Yes, I went to therapy as an adult to work through my feelings. Though my job pays well and has benefits, I struggle to make ends meet, which makes it hard to afford even my copay for the therapy. But I'm working on my budget to try to find a way to make therapy work again. 
So my questions are, how important is it to have a sexual identity? How do I know what mine is? What tips do you have for coming out to my family? Should I even come out to my family? How can I prevent my family from blaming themselves for their quote unquote mistakes that may have fucked me up, but that have nothing to do with my sexuality? Thanks for your time and all the wonder- wonderful advice you have given. I think you help more people than you realize. Mm. Much love, little Sebastian. P.S. Here's a couple pictures of my golden retriever puppy. See, you end with the puppy and it's just so, pu- this puppy, it's beyond. Now look, Okay. I have a thing for golden retriever puppies because they are objectively the most pleasing thing one can experience in life. But I do think that this particular golden retriever puppy takes the cake. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. It looks like a little gunned animal, you know, the guns. Yes, yes, it does. Like a little, little fuzzy. Oh my god, freaking soft. out. Oh. Anyway, right. <laughs> um, thank you for writing in, little Sebastian. This is a lot of stuff. So I want to say that I don't have experience coming out. I'm not going to touch too much on that, but I will say you've already come up with scenarios of what you think your family's going to do. So if you do decide to come out, you really don't know how they're going to react. You might have an idea, and you might be totally correct. But you might also not be. You might you might be surprised. So if you do decide to come out, um, you just don't know how your family's going to react, and you got to prepare yourself for anything and know that if you're doing it because you want them to know, it might take a while for them to accept you and stuff. But you have these ideas of what they're going to do. You just don't know. So that's that's first off. You know, your family's always going to blame something <laughs> for mistakes. I still know that my mother blames herself for things that, you know, childhood stuff. And I'm like, oh, stop it. But, you know, that's her. That's not you. And that's their path. And that's their journey. And you don't own that. You own your own. So don't, I mean, it's easier said than done. But I'd like you to think about why you care more about what they think or blaming themselves um, than your own happiness and what you need. So you've been through a lot. This is a lot of stuff. And it's really great that you're in therapy. I'm, I'm so happy and I'm, I'm glad it's working out and that your job is able to pay for some of it. Um, you know, it's, it's just tough because it's, it's about you. It's not about them. So think about what you need and what you want. Sally, do you want to kick in there? Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I do. It sounds like you were in therapy, but you are no longer because uh, of how much it costs. Oh, which okay. Sorry. I totally hear you that that is, it's hard to make ends meet and stuff. I, I personally feel like, um, therapy is just a line item in my budget. And, um, and I, I understand that I'm coming from a place of privilege, but if you can prioritize it more, or if you can find something that is less expensive, perhaps through, um, a free clinic or a sliding fee scale clinic, I think that would be really important because, um, you know, that's just, you described some childhood trauma that sounds really fucking intense. Um, and also some stuff with your family that seems really difficult. So I would definitely prioritize that. Um, how important is it to have a sexual identity? Uh, how do I know what mine is? I mean, it sounds like you, first of all, it sounds like you have a sexual identity and you know what it is. You just, you're not sure what the label is. Um, and I think that's fine. Like, you know, some people like labels and want them. Some people don't care about them. Some people are indifferent other people, you know, whatever. I I think that like having a label that like one of the upsides is that when you have a label that is familiar to people, it's easy to be like, I'm gay. (laughs) You know, I think it's, I think it's harder to be like, I'm pansexual because that's a thing that like is, you know, becoming more recognizable, but I think is like less so by to like mainstream 
kind of more normative people. Um, and I think it's even more confusing to people to be like, well, I don't really have a label or I, you know, I'm non labeling. I, I think it's fine to be that way. Cause it's fine to be over you are, but I under, I recognize like the privilege of having a word that most people can like wrap their heads around. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, I think if you want to have a label and that's important to you, choose, try out different ones, see how they fit ones that already exist, ones that you make up for yourself, like whatever you want. I think it's totally fine to also identify as non-labeling. Um, I know people who do that as well. Um, as far as coming out to your family, should you come out to your family? I mean, I think that I, I think that you said it's not fair to your partner to not come out to your family. And I, I'm wondering why you think that is. Um, is it something that your partner has articulated? Um, I think that if I was dating someone who had a really complicated family situation and, um, and them coming out to their parents was going to be, was going to create a lot of emotional strife for them. Um, I would probably be pretty flexible on whether or not they came out to their family. I think that like, I've been with people who didn't want to come out, um, for not because they were worried about like, um, just like being re-traumatized by how their family treated them, but just because it was going to be like uncomfortable and weird. That is the kind of thing that I would kind of resent and be like, I would love it if you would come out. It would make both of our lives easier. But I don't know. I just, I just don't think that like, I don't know. I mean, if you haven't talked to your partner about it, talk to them and see, like explain everything you've, you have here if you haven't already and say that you're like, it, maybe you're not ready to come out yet. Um, or maybe you don't want to ever, or maybe you do, but not yet. Or maybe you do want to come out. I mean, maybe this isn't just about the partner. Maybe you actually do want to come out. But I think it's important to figure that out. I think like coming out when you are ready and you want to is really, really important. So I would just like try to unpack that. Um, and as far as like how you come out, I I, I don't know, man. Like um, – I over email in person, I like, however you feel is like safest for you. Um, I, I think that if your parents blame themselves, like that's not a, your problem. That's a, their problem. Like they, they're going to have to sit with that. And I know it's easier said than done, but like you have your own shit to worry about. You have to worry about what you do in your life and how that affects you. Like you can't worry about how things you do in your life affect them. Parents, have kids and they have to cope with like whatever that turns out to be. And I don't know, man, like I, I just I, like if we all took that on, like how our parents, like the extent to which our parents were like going to be okay with what we're doing and how we're living our lives. I, we would just, we never ever live our own lives. And I understand that like, you know, everyone has a different relationship to their family and different cultures have different relationships to like being a child and stuff like that. So I don't mean to like push my version of what it means to be a kid onto you, but I, I just, I will say that like your parents might have a lot of feelings and it might be rocky and you'll have to work through that and that will suck. But that, that, that is, it, it just, it is what it is, but I don't think you owe them anything. And I, I don't think you, I think you, you don't owe them like protection from your sexual orientation. And I don't think you owe them, uh, finding out about your sexual orientation. Like you don't owe them anything. It's, it's like, I think it's about whatever you want to do for you. 
That's all I got. Yeah, no, that's great. And I'm really glad you said that. I am sorry I misunderstood. I thought you were still in therapy, but you're trying to make it work. I see that now. Um, real quick thing about that is I recently went through some financial changes in my life where I've had to restructure some things. And the first thing I did was how can I afford therapy? Because even though I'm, you know, just making ends meet myself for other reasons, it's something that if I didn't go every week, I wouldn't be able to rebuild some stuff and re do the restructuring. But that that's something yeah. that if you see it as a priority, you know, that's, um, you know, if you can. And again, we come from, you know, different backgrounds and whatnot, and a lot of people just can't afford it. But if you can try to make it a priority, do, because things are happening. And, you know, I know you went to therapy for the stuff that happened as a child, but that stuff still stays inside you. And you think you've dealt with it, but sometimes more boxes open and you, it really helps to have someone guide you through your process. So, you know. I, yeah, I agree. I think that like, I, I think that in my experience dealing with things that have happened, like you don't like really finish dealing with them. You finish like chapters of dealing with them, yeah. you know, but I think it's really just like just because of what it is to be like a human being who's alive and experiencing things and feelings all day, every day. I think it's it's very unrealistic to think that like something happens in our childhood to so be just like go to therapy for like a few years or a few months or whatever it is and deal with it. And then it like never comes back. I just, I think that that's like a kind of a, a misconception that we have just like as a people. <laughs> and I, I don't think it's ever about dealing with something once because I, I think that things come back in different ways and it, something will like rear its head and, or, you know, or you have like, you know, maybe like you, like what it means to like deal with, to like be the person you are in your twenties you get a handle on what it means to have gone over a lot of shit and processed a lot of shit from your childhood. But then like your thirties are different and you feel different as a person. And then maybe you end up like reexamining things and your forties are different from that. So anyway, and that's not even taking into account, like continuing to have a relationship with your parents and how stuff can keep coming up again. So I, I'm just going to really hit that thing hard of, um, of like therapy is important. And, um, especially I think when you have like childhood trauma, which I feel like a lot of people do and sometimes like aren't fully aware that it's like trauma that needs to be like unpacked and processed and stuff like that. Um, and again, just like you, you asked how can you prevent your family from blaming themselves? And I understand that like when your parents blame themselves, it ends up being like more work for you, mm -hmm. but only if you take it on, you know, like, Sometimes parents need to sit with their feelings and their fears and their worries and their questions. And, you know, you don't have to pick up that rope. And I think you can also say, like, you know, I love you and we've gotten to a really good place in our relationship and it's been tough. And I understand that you're having feelings and going through this, but I can't be the one to make you feel better about this. I can't be the one to get you through this. Like, and, that's it. That's it. You know, um, you have agency too. So yeah, I, I even the words like, well, I don't see it that way. And that's not my experience. You can say that however you want. Um, if you mm -hmm. want to, because, you know, sometimes it helps to hear you or hear someone say like, actually, no, it wasn't your fault. But let them sit with that because you can't fix it. But you can give them a little tiny bit of information if you want. Totally. Mm -hmm. And also, don't I think like some people exonerate their parents because it's like easier. I don't know, like, I just I don't think it's like any kid's job to 
make their parents feel better about decisions they made as parents because it's not really like about that. I don't know. Like I, 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 I think it, it's everyone's own individual choice, whether or not they want to like kind of quote unquote, let their parents off the hook or reassure their parents that they didn't do anything wrong. I mean, and if that's what you want to do, either because you truly believe it or because it's like the most expedient thing for like your mental health, that's totally fine. But I also think that like the idea that kids are here to make their parents, Mm -hmm. that it's like on us to make their parents feel better about um, mistakes they made or didn't make or whether or not they did make mistakes or if they should blame themselves, like all this stuff that you describe. Like, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily has to be part of the equation. And I think that's probably really hard for parents. And I'm not a parent, I'm speaking as a kid. And so people who are parents may have a, a different, you know, relationship to this thing. But as someone without kids, I will say that, um, I think that how much you engage with your parents about, quote unquote, mistakes they made or what they didn't didn't do is, is very, very, very much your choice. And even if they have an expectation that you will, quote unquote, let them off the hook or even like have the conversation with them about like, is this my fault that I do this? I, I think that's your choice to make. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I meant to say, you know, if you want to, if, if you really want to. And I will say also for me personally, I have a very good relationship now with my mother. But mm-hmm. it took years and years, and there were, there are a couple of conversations that have started to come up where I do feel comfortable saying, "Well, that's not what affected me, but I will tell you what did." And yeah. we are having these conversations that are honest, but that's totally only if you feel safe doing so, or that you really want to, or that you have, you know, you know if it's for you, not for them. It's uh, take care of you. Make sure you're yeah. nurturing the inner you and taking care of yourself. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. So good luck, little Sebastian, and uh, keep us posted. And feel free to send us photos of your puppy any time. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I love this puppy so much. Thank you for that. Okay. So I think we're going to leave it there because we um, spent a little bit of time Mm jibber-jabbering and we got really in in the weeds in a good way Mm -hmm. on these questions. So we're going to end it there. But uh, we would like to tell you to please follow us at Struggle Bus Pod. Email us at strugglebuspodcast at gmail.com and you can ask us a question there. You can ask us to join the Facebook group. If you would like to do both, please write two separate emails and indicate what it is you want in the subject line. Follow us on Instagram at the strugglebuspod. Use the hashtag strugglepodbuds420. Follow Catherine at spkheller. Follow me at T. And if you want to be part of the Facebook group, please give us your email address, not the funky, weird Facebook username email address <laughs> thing, but the actual email address you use to log in to Facebook. Catherine, mm-hmm. you have the song of the week. Well, I don't know if we've done this. I don't think. But I don't know why we haven't. Take on me. Aha. <gasps> Guys, listen, there's some amazing music that came from the 80s. And I, I was listening to uh, Gloria by Laura Branigan because it was in the Gloria Allred documentary. And that's what Andrea sang at your birthday party. Well, she did. She sang. Oh, she was amazing. But um, I like the 80s. Take on me is a whole new song. If you want to check out the video, it's fucking amazing. I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to recreate the video on stage for a play for the neo futurists. But I know we're trying to like work with the the black lights and the walls. We got new lights and shit. So I'm like, let's do take on me the video live. Everyone's like, sure, Catherine, you figure that out. (laughs) So anyway, it's an amazing song. It's just fun. 
it's goofy and it's beautiful. Let's dance. Uh, it's a great song. One song I did use once. I think I did this. It's like a punk rock cover of this yes, song. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. Which yes. is also really good. But yeah, this is like definitely one of my favorite songs in the whole wide world. And uh, as you said, the video is really great too. It's amazing. So we're going to play a little bit of that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. Bye. 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 